0: if you'd asked me 10 years ago, where are we going to be in 2022? What is going to be the financial asset that's going to be the talk of the town? What is the thing that's going to create literally trillions of dollars of wealth? I probably wouldn't have said Bitcoin. If Bitcoin passes 100, I believe it's $121,000 per coin, Satoshi Nakamoto will officially be the richest person in the world. How can a trillion dollar asset class be a failed experiment? For the first time, there is no oh, sorry, sir, I don't agree with your political views, or you were born on the wrong piece of rock. That doesn't exist within crypto. People like you and I, we always think we're late to things. I didn't buy Bitcoin in 2010, therefore I'm an idiot. I'm far too late. We are still so early. It all comes back to, do you want to have options in your life? Or do you want to be beholden to a single point of failure?
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Balu, And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a repeat guest. He did such an incredible job last time he was here. I wanted to have him back. And he is one of the leading thought leaders when it comes to investing and profiting from what Brian Rose of London Real has called the single greatest dislocation of wealth in human history. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Ali Al Gore. Welcome to the show, Ali.
0: Nicky, it's a pleasure to be back.
1: (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank you. Pleasure to have you back. So, Ali, we want to talk today about the single greatest dislocation of wealth in human history. And that is the rise of this technology, this disruptive technology known as the blockchain, and how this is making it possible for us to disintermediate the central organizations like central banks and traditional banks and other third-party interlopers between us and our money. And I'm excited to talk about the one, the, the, the asset class that got it all going, Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin, Ali.
0: Wow. You know i didn't think you know if you'd asked me 10 years ago where are we going to be in 2022 what is going to be the financial asset that's going to be the talk of the town what is the thing that's going to create literally trillions of dollars of wealth i probably wouldn't have said bitcoin
1: i get it
0: and just the advancement we've had over the past decade alone has been absolutely staggering and you know i'm just so excited to really like dive deep into it and get get into the nitty-gritty of like really how we've got to this point
1: i'm excited to hear you share that with us because honestly 10 years ago i didn't even know bitcoin existed and i wish i had i was involved in other things i wish i'd taken $10,000, Ten thousand dollars. Heck, five thousand dollars. Heck, a thousand dollars. Just thousand dollars. Dropped it in, in Bitcoin in 2012 and forgot about it till today. <laughs> that would have been awesome.
0: That would have would have made you a very rich man, my friend. You and me it both. Have,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, tell us, how did we? How did Bitcoin come to be, brother?
0: I think, really, we have to go back to sort of like the mid 90s more than anything else because one misconception is that bitcoin is not the first attempt at digital currency it's not we i did
1: did not know that not 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 until i read your book i didn't know that in the mid 90s
0: when the internet started getting to the point where we actually had a legitimate user base outside of you know essentially Sort of like cyberpunks in their basement. There was discussion around can we create a currency for the internet? So, up until then, every currency had been localized, it was limited by the regions. You know, you're in Canada, I'm currently in the US, I'm from the UK originally. Everyone's got their own currency based on geographical borders. With the rise of the internet and the global economy for the really the first time, the first time we could interact with one another. Instantly, people have been trying to solve the whole account, create a currency for the internet. And so there are a lot of attempts. So probably the most well-known one was DigiCash, which was made by a guy called David Chaun, one of the early cryptographers who was really involved in this. And DigiCash had the uh, problem of it was really just, it was too far ahead of its time. On a technological level, we weren't at the point where we could do any sort of scale of transactions. Um, the actual programming itself wasn't great. There were a number of potential security concerns, but stuff like this laid the foundations for what would eventually become Bitcoin. The same way that you know Palm Pilots laid the foundations for what became the iPhone. Just back then, the, technol- the technology itself was limited. So we ended up with sort of like intermediate solutions like PayPal, for example, which, you know, PayPal is essentially internet money, just you have you still have the middleman. You do. Which so is PayPal themselves saying, PayPal, yeah. Exactly. So we had, we had the PayPal era, and then we get to 2008 and the great, you know, the global financial crisis. And at this point, we... We get lightning in a bottle because we have this huge event where millions of people lost their homes, lost a huge amount of their net worth. Some of them financially devastated. You know, my grandfather was one of them. And at this time, you have Satoshi Nakamoto. And this this in itself is interesting. Satoshi Nakamoto, no one knows who he or they are it's never been confirmed. There are lots of thoughts about who it was or a group of people who use this identity, Satoshi Nakamoto. Let's just say they, for the purposes of this podcast, they published a white paper called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic currency. And this proposed the idea of what is today Bitcoin, a currency that instead of having a middleman as the verifier, instead of having a central bank or Visa or MasterCard saying, this is a legitimate transaction. Regular people could verify that the transaction was real. And the way they would do that is through computing power because now it's not the mid nineties anymore. We have the ability to do this. We have fast internet, and then we have enough computing power where we can actually generate this verifying process.
1: So, um, only before we move further, I want to speculate on the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto a little bit. So there are people who say that Satoshi Nakamoto is the real-life version of John Galt from the, from the novel <laughs> Atlas Shrugged. Who is John Galt? Who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Exactly. Uh, right? And the reason that Satoshi Nakamoto did this is because uh, Satoshi uh, was disgusted with the way governments had uh, run our economy and, and in the aftermath of how they handled the uh, financial crisis of 2008 and said, Screw this, but I also don't want a big target on my back. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. want the world's intelligence agencies seeking me out and rubbing me out. So Satoshi decided to use uh, an identity, and wanted to create a disruption, and then wanted to disappear, just like John Galt. Uh, and it's not yes. the end of the story. There's going to be a point at which Satoshi's going to come back, but we're not there yet. So that that there's some speculation that Satoshi's a real life John Galt. No, absolutely.
0: There's because there's a few people who have come out and said, "No, I was Satoshi Nakamoto." Personally, I don't believe any of them.
1: No. They're- no
0: (laughs) and like i i understand like from a publicity stunt standpoint it makes sense and the way i look at any sort of financial instrument is i look at it as a game of incentives Mm -hmm. and what are there is no incentive for someone to come out and reveal themselves as satoshi nakamoto the downsides of that far outweigh any upsides huge you know the Like the theory that I subscribed to was that it was a cryptographer by the name of Hal Finney who has since died, Mm -hmm. and I think it. While he was probably the lead person on it, I think it was a group of people who, you know, collectively worked on the project as this Satoshi Nakamoto identity. And you know the way, especially the way the world has gone in the past sort of four five years with this whole like, uh, you know, internet sleuthing council culture type thing, if, if, someone, if it was a single person they were still alive, I'm pretty sure the identity would have come out. But Satoshi's Bitcoin wallet is still online. If Bitcoin passes, hundred, I believe it's $121,000 per coin, yes. Satoshi Nakamoto will officially be the richest person in the world.
1: Really?
0: Yeah, because that wallet still holds about a million Bitcoin in
1: a million bitcoin
0: a million bitcoin Shit. that's a lot of money
1: yes <laughs> a lot of money that's a the lot.
0: great thing about about bitcoin is we can look this up online <laughs> my god we can look we can
1: just look it up so at 121,000 dollars satoshi nakamoto becomes the richest person on the planet um if Satoshi was Hal Finney and Hal Finney is gone and other people have access to that wallet, wow, that becomes something pretty darn special. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, like, you know, having
0: that much wealth, once again, it goes back to the incentives problem. The, the, oh. the downsides just massively outweigh the upsides of coming forward as that person.
1: Listen, I'd like 1,000 of those Bitcoin. I'd like to find a way to earn that. So <laughs> just 1,000 Bitcoin. Satoshi, if you're listening. <laughs> Listen, I will, I will provide you 10,000 Bitcoin worth of value. I just want 1,000 Bitcoin. That's all. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Ollie. you and me, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get us a 1,000 Bitcoin each. Done deal. Done deal. Okay. So Satoshi Nakamoto created this. The technology was in place. Why did this scare the bejesus out of the central bankers and the other bankers? And why did it cause them to go on this um, PR disinformation offensive against Bitcoin? Great question. Well, it removes, the, it removes the need for them. Boom. What a succinct answer. It removes <laughs> the need for them. Absolutely. I mean, oh. it's the same with you know how
0: the how the hotel industry went after Airbnb. It's the same with how the taxi industry went after Uber.
1: They were threatened. They were threatened, weren't they? They were threatened. So they went after Bitcoin and they said, "Oh, this is this is this is fraudulent. This is uh, this is." It's not real. This ain't going to last. You're going to lose all your money. You know, you can't disintermediate the banks because then no one's going to pay their taxes. And then we can't have any government. I mean, you name it, the crazy stuff that came out of their mouths, which on the surface of it sounded reasonable. Okay, yeah, maybe they're right. But you dig underneath a little bit, you can see that it was all a bunch of lies. It's all a yeah, bunch of course. lies.
0: It's like you know when any new technology comes along, it's very—it's not accepted. Like there's a there's a whole legion of literature about all of the things we now see as commonplace and how disregarded they were. I mean, I'm, like the car, for example, was slated because it was going to ruin the the carriage industry. Yeah, and. This is the thing. There was so much. One of the things we have in our books is how many times has Bitcoin been declared dead? And I think-
1: Every year, five times times a year minimum?
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. The the first article was back in 2010. Bitcoin is dead. Because I think Bitcoin went from like $1 to 20 cents in a couple of weeks or something and said, well, this is over. And then, yeah, I mean, there was one a couple of months ago saying Bitcoin is a failed experiment. So how can how can a trillion dollar asset class be a failed experiment?
1: I'd say it's I don't successful understand. Uh, it's the most successful experiment financially speaking in history. <laughs> exactly. For the first time, there is no there is no
0: middleman. Man has created their own store of value, and we can have this trustless environment because instead of having, you know, a central bank sign off on something, the participants in the bitcoin economy sign off on it. I say this is a legitimate transaction. Both of us agree on this. And if you say oh no, it's not legitimate, it's out there in public. We can look it up. That's the beautiful thing and that's why it's so scary to a lot of people because you know, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. And the knock on my generation is that we're a little bit soft. We're a little bit lazy, not very industrious. And
1: don't get me wrong, I agree with some of that sentiment. But...
0: doesn't apply to you part,
1: personally, Ollie. You're not soft and you're not lazy <laughs> and you are pretty industrious. But I would have to tell you that it's... Uh, It's a concern. It's definitely a concern, I think, for the future of our society. Uh, Because in uh, places like Russia and China, they're emphasizing what's called manly education for their boys. They're teaching them how to be strong, rough, tough men. And we, let's just say, are not. (laughs) No,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And the point I was trying to get at here is... It's scary to have sovereignty over your own wealth. Because one of the most common questions I get from people is, well, what if I what if I lose what if I lose my Bitcoin? I so said, then it's gone. There is no customer support helpline. There is none. You can't you can't dial Satoshi and say, Hey, um, I messed it up. I, I transferred it to this guy on Instagram who said he was gonna make my money and he can I do an undo? Can I do a chargeback? No, that doesn't work. No, doesn't. You are the owner of your wealth. And that is so empowering because Chase can't call you up and say, oh, by the way, that tweet you made seven years ago. Yeah, we're not going to allow you to bank with us anymore.
1: <laughs> no, it's insanity, bro. It's like that doesn't happen
0: in crypto. Can't happen there in is... crypto. No. And this is why it intimidates so many people because it's so freeing and the ability for an individual, you know, we talked about this on the last time I was so graciously invited to be on your show, how, you know, someone in Russia who has been banned from, you know, working on a freelancing platform like Upwork with crypto, that doesn't happen. There is no banning. There is no oh sorry, sir, I don't agree with your political views, or you were born on the wrong piece of rock that doesn't exist within crypto, and that's the the thing that's so beautiful but also so terrifying for you know many of the authority figures involved like like central banks like governments and I understand I get why there were you know, there's so much disinformation. We've had so many attempts at regulation that haven't really worked, and like I get it because it's scary to them.
1: It is totally scary to them, but it's also scary to individuals. And I'm 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 glad that you said you have sovereignty over your wealth. I actually lead a program called. Um, the Sovereign Circle. It's part of a movement I lead called the Sovereign Man Movement. We have a web uh, website, sovereignman.ca.com is an entirely different website, uh, not ours. And we also have a podcast by that name. And we speak there about helping men become sovereign, right? That, that really means that you are self-sufficient sovereignty true freedom is scary especially to people in 2022 they're so used to nanny state support that when they're given to freedom they just it's like they've been thrown in the deep end of the ocean and they just they just struggle they don't know what to do but the beauty of being truly free is that That freedom can allow you to create magic for yourself. That freedom can allow you to create incredible amounts of business and success and power for yourself, where without it, you're just a drone. Uh, You know, you're a cog in a machine, a machine you didn't create, a machine that's grinding out the humanity from your soul, and a machine that in no way allows you to live life as the best, most powerful, badass warrior version of yourself. Beautifully put. Thank you. And once again,
0: this is really for the minority because if you look at Bitcoin adoption we' still're still a tiny fraction. Um, I, th- I believe as of the last time I looked, it was something like 7.8 percent of the world own crypto wow. which, is, which is nothing no. um, you know in the in the UK where I was born, it was it's less than five percent still. In the United States, it's about eight percent. But then in other countries, like uh, I lived in Vietnam for a year and over there, crypto adoption is, it's above 50%. Whoa. Which is insane. Completely insane. But it's like these countries that maybe haven't had the opportunity and their citizens haven't had the opportunity to participate in the global economy up until now. Now they can. You know if you're a Vietnamese person and you say, I want to, you know, I want to work in America or I want to work in Canada or I want to work in the United Kingdom, the bureaucrats will be like, "Nope, sorry, sir. You don't, you don't tick all these boxes. Well, now you can just wake up, do the work, get paid, no bureaucracy, no forms to fill out, no box ticking, no things that you did wrong that were beyond your control, like being born on the wrong piece of rock.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's the that's the exciting part about this whole movement, and you know, Bitcoin in particular, because Bitcoin is the flag bearer. I love it.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay, so um, Bitcoin starts to win greater adherence out there in the marketplace, and. Um this started to open the eyes of a lot of people to the possibilities that Bitcoin offered and the whole world of crypto and DeFi offered. Talk to me about what started to happen around 2014, 2015 in this space and how was Bitcoin the catalyst for it? So
0: when we get to... 2014 bitcoin hits $1000 for the first time people wake up and they go hang on a second that whole like meme internet currency thing that we all thought was stupid maybe there's some maybe there's some legs to this and we get to a point once again with you know smartphone technology where suddenly the actual ability to purchase Bitcoin becomes much easier because I believe I told the story last time I was here about you know trying to buy Bitcoin back in 2011 and going through a bunch of dodgy payment processes, yeah. and having to translate websites line by line. It was a nightmare. And now, the people who were actually bought up with the idea of like this cool internet money, they'd actually been working on developing platforms to facilitate the transactions, making it easier for mass adoption. And so around 2014, 2015, we start seeing an overall change in sentiment from not just, you know, weird cyberpunk types or strange people like me who spend far too much time on the internet to regular people saying, okay, I think I think this works. I think this is something I'd like to own. And to me especially with inflation what it is now, my goodness. That's going to be the catalyst for the next you know big adoption cycle. Because people like you and I we always think we're late to things. You know, I I didn't buy bitcoin in 2010 therefore I'm an idiot I'm far too late but we are still so early <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This is are. the thing if you zoom out we're still so early and that's the that's the thing I you know I'm excited for
1: I agree with you I'm involved in a number of investments in the crypto space I own a small amount of Solana I own some Luna some Terra um, I'm involved in a, a couple of projects with uh, that are based on, on Phantom and, and the Binance smart chain. And um, I also teamed up with a friend of mine who's actually been a bit of a mentor to me inside the crypto space and he's half my age to um, get a knife company called Spartan Blades. And I'll show you... knives so this is a spartan blade knife it's called the ronin shinto it's just it's a lovely knife you you may be able to see their logo on the on the blade over there and we've teamed up with them yeah it really is to do a um an nft project we thought we were going to be the first knife company but yesterday another knife company just announced on instagram that they have an nft tops knives their knives it's nothing special we're doing some really cool stuff with ours we uh, uh, believe we're going to be able to get our project um, or the artwork done we've had several full starts hired the wrong people the wrong people again and again and again until we finally hired the right people I mean it was just brutal Ali and um, you know back when we were looking at this and like august september the nft space was blowing up and we thought hey we'll get this up in, in a month or two and we'll make millions well that's not quite how it works <laughs> and right right now the way that we're going to launch it isn't it's not going to make us millions Im- immediately but we believe that it'll create a community that over time will be interested and in continue to be in the space and and we'll, we'll we'll make a good return but what really excited me about this project is I see the possibilities and I'm like, I'd like to be in more projects. I'd like to understand um, what opportunities exist that aren't being uh, capitalized yet in the space. And I'm not a technically savvy person who's going to be able to go and, you know, code and create that stuff. But I'd like to find, uh, team up with folks who can do that. And maybe it's me and the fellow that I'm currently working with. Uh, and, and together we'll find some people and, uh, I'd love to just be a man who does several projects, several companies and two, three, four, five years down the road. I want these to uh, a number of these to have been successful. So almost like a VC model. You put your money into 10 different projects and you're, you want one of them to really be a whale because six of them are going to fail completely and, uh, Two of them are going to be you know, limping along, you know, not, not money losers, but not huge money makers. One of them will, will succeed moderately, and then one's going to be this ginormous, huge whale of a project. So that's kind of my thinking, is i like to have 10 projects going, and I want one of them to be oil. And I'm 54 years old. I've, I've experienced some success in my life, but I'd really like to experience a massive amount of success. And I believe this is the way to do it. This is why I'm excited about Bitcoin. And people listening to this, many of them are, are younger folks like yourself. Some of them are a little bit older like me. They're all thinking to themselves, wow, I, I wish I did. I should have, could have, would have. But as you said, you still can't. The opportunity real. The opportunity is now, right? hundred like percent. The one thing I always say is
0: the willingness or lack of willingness to change is not an excuse. You know, my, my dad was a very tech savvy guy. I remember he bought a, bought a DVD player home in 1996. But he didn't invest in any of these companies at the forefront of the internet. I remember him going to Amazon in the 2000s. Didn't buy the stock though. It's too risky, he said. Same thing now with crypto, too risky. It's like, well, what is life without risk? And the other part is this risk is asymmetric. You're going to invest a small amount of money to potentially make a far larger amount. This isn't invest a thousand, make a thousand back. This is invest a thousand, potentially make 10,000, maybe a hundred thousand. If it all goes wrong, you've lost a thousand dollars. I'm sure you've lost a thousand dollars in way worse ways. I mean, we all have. But the way I look at, you know, I I really like history. I think we can learn a lot from history.
1: I agree. See, I knew I, done and, that. I knew there were good reasons why I like Charlie. <laughs> we just think I like so much. And the thing
0: is, new technologies come along all the time, and the vast majority of people say, "Well, those are stupid. That will never work." And. It's the few who say, you know what, this might not work, but you know what, what if it does? What if it does? What are the actual opportunities here? And that's why I'm so bullish on this. We're still so early and we've made so much progress. Even in the past five years, we have made so much progress. And, you know, I'm sure over the next five years, Paying rent in Bitcoin will become commonplace. Having a Bitcoin wallet will be as accepted as having a bank account. We're getting there. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. And there's going to be a lot of hurdles along the way. Absolutely. There's going to be a lot of regulation along the way. Absolutely. But that's okay. Because it's like, the way we see the internet now, we're like, No one wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I'm going to go on the internet today. Like, this is just what we do. It's how we live. Yeah, it's how we live, yeah. But 20 years ago, it was, I'm going to go on the internet and look this up.
1: Wow, that's so exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's the same with crypto now. It's like, oh, I'm going to use cryptocurrency today. Or I'm going to use Bitcoin to pay for this. And in in 10 years' time, we'll we'll be laughing at the idea of that because, you know... (laughs) There'll be kids running around like, Dad, can I have my allowance in Bitcoin? <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's allowances in
1: Bitcoin these days. Probably at that point, the kids aren't going to be asking for an allowance, so the kids are going to have their own little business ideas that they've got going on there. <laughs> exactly. And then the dad's, dad's going to go, yeah, we're, we're, we're running into a little bit of trouble, and the seven-year-old is going to go, oh, what, what do you mean? Dad? Uh, just says, you know, money's a little tight. Oh, really? He said, dad, I can help out. No, no, that's okay. Exactly. So going, oh, really, I got, I got. you know, this month I made 30 Bitcoin, and dad's going to go, what? You're seven years old. It's been you know? I, I made 30 It's Bitcoin. so...
0: It's so true. It's funny, actually. I was, um, I was speaking to some friends who recently bought, bought a house here in Austin and the property prices in Austin are through the roof. And I said, because these friends of mine are, are younger than I am and they've done very well for themselves. And I said, you know, when you, when you had interactions with these realtors, you know, you're, you're bidding for this house against people twice, sometimes even three times your age. Do they ever give you pushback on being so young? and he said no they just assume everyone got rich in crypto <laughs> which I <think> awesome. <laughs> so now like if a 19 year old has money people just accept it they're like oh they must have got rich in crypto <laughs> they must have got rich in crypto
1: yeah well it's better than thinking you know he's a he's a dealer in this illicit narcotics but <laughs> that's good. exactly exactly
0: it's accepted now that people
1: can you know build wealth at a very young age yeah yeah so I tell you, for me, I'm, I'm very excited about building some good wealth this year. In 2022, I want to create a, a crypto uh, massive explosion of wealth, crypto driven. And, and, and I'm excited about having conversations like this because it teaches me a lot about how this becomes possible. So I've got my mentor, I've got you, I've got other folks I'm talking to. So, okay, so all this happens. Crypto hits $1,000 for the first time. And then there's some folks, Bitcoin, sorry, hits $1,000 for the first time. Then there's some folks who are looking at Bitcoin and going, okay, Bitcoin's great, but there's some limitations. And they're starting to think about creating another crypto asset. So talk about how Bitcoin spawned Ethereum. So
0: pretty much from day one, Bitcoin had detractors. It was, this is technologically limited. And that was somewhat by design. I don't think Bitcoin and we, you know, we can't get Satoshi Nakamoto on the show to ask. But I don't think Bitcoin was ever supposed to be anything more than a store of value. And that's completely fine. Gold is a store of value. Gold's been working just fine for about 5,000 years. But, you know, gold as a day to day currency has limitations. That's- so, Bitcoin as a day to day currency or as a platform to build applications on as limitations. And so this is how a lot of these other cryptocurrencies, Ethereum being the most well-known one, was spawned because they saw the limitations in Bitcoin and they said, okay, well, we can develop our own protocol which bypasses some of these limitations. So the way I look at it is, so Bitcoin is sort of like digital gold, If something like Ethereum is more like an operating system. So Ethereum's main utility is you can build on top of it. You can build applications, anything from an NFT marketplace to a platform to verify election results. And that's why Ethereum has has grown so much in the same way, you know, Microsoft grew so much because it was a platform that people could build upon. And I think that there's a quote from Bill Gates that says something along the lines of, you know, a platform is only a platform if all of the applications built on top of it are worth more than the platform itself. And that's what we're seeing with Ethereum now and all these things based off it, things like Axie Infinity, things like OpenSea and all of the things that can actually be built on it, all of this stems from Bitcoin's limitations. And people get very dogmatic about this. They say, Bitcoin, oh, I heard the word limitations, therefore Bitcoin's bad. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Cryptocurrencies have use cases. Bitcoin's use case is as a deflationary store of value. Ethereum's use case is It is a platform that we can build upon to create decentralized applications. So instead of paying 30% to the Apple Store, you don't have to do that on Ethereum. Instead of paying 30% to Google to list
1: on Google Play, you don't have to do that anymore. I tell you something that's pretty amazing for me is that as Ethereum has risen and its use case has become evident to the marketplace. The value of Bitcoin has continued to go from strength to strength,
0: right? Bitcoin still controls a lot of the crypto ecosystem because in terms of overall sentiment and especially in terms of like institutional adoption, yeah. Bitcoin is the thing that controls everything. Institutions want to buy Bitcoin because they see it as a hedge against you know, a collapse in the dollar, for example, or a stock market collapse. So institutions want to own Bitcoin because they understand that it's a useful hedge. You know, Harry Brown, great businessman, libertarian presidential candidate, five, five elections in a row or something.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He, his portfolio, his, I think it was the all weather portfolio he had, it was five percent gold. And I think if you know he rewrote the book today, it would probably be 25% Bitcoin. Because having that amount as a hedge just makes sense. Same way owning real estate as a hedge makes sense. Because if the dollar collapses, at least you've got a roof over your head. Same way owning farmland makes sense as a hedge. You can still grow your own crops. It all all comes back to, do you want to have options in your life? Or do you want to be beholden to a single point of failure? Whether that's your job, whether that's a single government, whatever it is, or do you want options? What
1: a great question. I mean, the answer is obvious, right? It's a leading question. You want options in your life. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's it's a terrific, terrific question because it'll, it's a wake-up call when you hear it. So everyone's going, well, yeah, yeah I, want, I want options. I don't want to be beholden to a single point of failure.
0: And it's this this guides pretty much everything I do like so it guides my investing style i don't want a single point of failure guides the way you know i control my financial life Guides the way i control where i live and because so many people they go through life and they don't think anything's wrong until it is 2008 prime example oh you know banks banks are fine you know nothing would ever happen to the banks oh Oh, wait, something did happen. So one book I think everyone should read is The Black Swan by Nicholas Taleb, because it just explains, like, throughout history, we have events that we'd never seen before. And there's no way to predict them. There's no way to forecast them. You know, there's there's another quote, I think it's like, uh, economic forecasting exists to make astrology look legitimate. Yeah. (laughs) And... (laughs) Like, you know, the beginning of 2020, there wasn't a single economic forecast that said, you know what, Um, there's going to be a global pandemic and the market's going to drop 30% this year. And then um, Bitcoin's going to drop, but then Bitcoin's going to 10x in about six months. There is not a single economic forecast that said that because we have these black swan events. And that's why you don't want a single point of failure in your life.
1: bought the book the black swan and i have not read it it's uh, on my shelf i read a lot of books but uh, uh, one of the things about being a bibliophile like me is that i buy a lot of books and i buy more books and even though i read them pretty quickly i, I sometimes just don't get to books. the books me and that you I'm, both my friend yeah the book i'm reading now is an old book called The Trick to Money is Having Some by Stuart Wild. He passed away in 2013. He's a Brit like yourself. Um, it's one of the finest books ever written about the psychology of money and making money. Highly recommend it. It's the book of the month inside my Sovereign Circle of men's organization. The men are reading it. And at first they're going, this is a pretty quirky book. And then I'm hearing, this is a great book. I'm learning a ton from it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give Black Swan um, a bit of a uh, push to the top of the pile, and we'll we'll get it into the rotation, uh, and we'll make sure that it gets read. So Ollie, you're you're gonna have to take my credit card because I want you to send me a whole bunch of signed books uh, made up personally to me. So um, we put those on the list because you and I got to know each other because I read one of your books. Now I want to read them all. <laughs> so. It's, It'd be my pleasure. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. So, so Ollie, so we have Ethereum. Ethereum has its own use case. It's a platform on which applications can be built. Bitcoin's use case is as a massive store of value. There's a lot of really big business people that are huge Bitcoin um, fans. Michael Saylor, being one in particular. He's a fellow I'd like to get to meet and interview. So if you if you're connected to him, I'd love I'd love an introduction. But let's 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 move forward in discussion about Bitcoin because Ethereum explodes onto the scene, starts doing things that Bitcoin uh, doesn't do. The value of Bitcoin keeps rising. Institutions believe in it as a hedge against the collapse of the U.S. dollar, as a hedge against inflation. It's digital gold. And Bitcoin keeps going from strength to strength. So as an investor today in 2022, let's look at Bitcoin and then let's look at the whole asset class of cryptocurrency uh, and the various DeFi related projects. Why should people still be investing in Bitcoin specifically today? And what else should they be looking at in terms of the um, digital currency, uh, not uh, the, the cryptocurrency asset class? Excuse me. So
0: to answer the first part, why should people invest in Bitcoin? Simply because it is the most well-known and don't discount that as a benefit it is the most accepted cryptocurrency by design its use case is limited that's the best part because bitcoin isn't trying to be something that it's not you're not going to see um a bitcoin 2.0 where There's a resurrection of Satoshi Nakamoto, and they say, oh, you know what? We actually want to make Bitcoin a, you know, a solid smart contract platform. That's not what it is. It's a store of value. You know, current market cap of Bitcoin, as we're recording this today, around $770 billion. Wow. Market cap of gold is around $12 trillion. If we just take a very simplistic view and we say, okay, you know what? Bitcoin is going to get to the same level as gold is, what is that? That's a, that's a 14, 15 X return from here.
1: And one thing I would
0: say to people is don't fret about Bitcoin's price in dollar terms, you say, oh, 40,000, that sounds like a lot. And it's like, that only sounds like a lot because you have no context. It only sounds like a lot because no stocks trade for forty thousand dollars. Except Berkshire Hathaway Class A.
1: That's it. I was just thinking that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I own some Berkshire Hathaway Class B. I don't have any Class A shares. Same.
0: So I one of one of my goals in life is to actually transfer my Class B shares to Class A one day.
1: Yeah,
0: agreed. agreed. But um, yeah, the the only don't fret about the dollar value of Bitcoin. If it helps, divide it by a thousand, the same way that, you know, once the US dollar gets inflated to the point where a pint of milk is a thousand dollars, they're just going to divide it by a thousand and they'll call them micro dollars or something because people like the idea of smaller things. Humans are weird like that. So Bitcoin from here has 14, 15 X potential if all we do is replace gold. Not we'll even replace if we get to the same level of value. If we want to get more deep into it, things like M1 and M2 money supplies, then the potential mm-hmm. is much higher. But that's that's a lot for now. In t- terms of other cryptocurrencies, my investment philosophy is I want to bet on the runner that already has momentum. I want to bet on the runner who is already moving as opposed to the idea of what it could be. Things like Ethereum, things like Solana, things like Polkadot, these coins and tokens that actually have real use cases and have an actual working network. Because when you start getting into this industry, especially from an investment standpoint, you will see so many projects that sound fantastic in theory they'll say in our test environment we've achieved a million transactions per second and i'll say that's wonderful what about in a real environment oh we haven't we don't actually we we haven't got it okay that's great cool call me back when you have a real one we call that the main net in crypto speak if a project has a main net, that means it's actually live and running and people are using yeah. it as opposed to a test net. Anyone can, anyone can do anything in a, in a test environment.
1: So it's got to have a current use case and yep. there have to be people actually using it, basically, is what you're yeah. saying.
0: It's the, same as, it's the same as stocks. Like I don't invest in, invest in companies that don't have any revenue. I'll invest in companies that aren't yet profitable because yeah. there's already a use case. And there's a path to profitability, but I won't invest in a company that has no revenue because it's all, it's all theory at that point. I get a product out first. You know, we see it a lot with these electric vehicle companies, for example. So, okay, we you know, we have this amazing prototype. Okay, great, build it. Call me back in three years when you've actually built the thing. Call me back when you actually have some orders. Same goes with crypto. Everything sounds great in theory. I want to invest in stuff that's battle tested. And you know what? That might limit your upside to only 50 or 100x as opposed to 1,000x. But you know what? I'm okay with that. If I make 100x on my money, I'm okay with that. You only need one or two of those in your life and you won't have to worry about money again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's no question that that's very, very true. Okay. So the runner with momentum, that's a brilliant way to, to look at this and to think about this. So Ali, I think we have a good understanding of Bitcoin's potential upside. It's at least 14, 15 x over where it is now. We also have a good understanding of uh, which companies in your view have really good potential upside. Folks like Ethereum, Solana, Polkadot, they are companies with a use case and with a user base. I think that's very important, super, super important. So if someone's listening to this and they're already investing in crypto, that's great. They're learning a little bit from our discussion, but if they haven't been investing in crypto yet, they've been scared, but they also are starting to see that hey, they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to be looking back 10, 15 years from now and going, oh, I had a chance to invest and I didn't do it. What's your advice to them? What would you tell them they need to do today so they don't get left behind?
0: Think about it in 15 years' time. Do you want to regret the decision? Like the time's going to pass no matter what. Whether you buy or not, the time's going to pass. And you don't have the excuse of, well, I just didn't know about it because you do know about it. And, you know, I think that we've presented a fairly good case. And I think it's not just up to us to, I think it's the entire ecosystem and how it's grown. And it's not just a meme, and it's not just some kids on the internet who have invented their own money. This is real. So if you're sitting here listening to this, and you don't own any crypto, you can, you can buy Bitcoin today. It will take you five minutes. If you want to put $100 in, just do that. But at least become part of the ecosystem. I always laugh. I get emails from people saying, I'm not an investor. I was like, Have you ever invested money? Yes. Okay, so you're an investor. (laughs) There is no like there's no club here. There's no you're not allowed in. You know, I'm I don't care if you've got a hundred dollars invested or or a hundred million. You're still an investor. You still have an interest in this, and you still have a now, you have a vested interest because you want it to appreciate in value. And Very true. education's fine, but another Taleb book that's fantastic, Skin in the Game. Once you have skin in the game, guess what? You're going to care more now. You're going to do more reading. You're going to suddenly think, hang on a second.
1: That, that
0: weird British guy was right. This <laughs> stuff is real. It is real. It is real. But yeah, get I, some skin in the game. There's no, the game. nothing, nothing is going to teach you like having skin in the game.
1: Right, so if we were putting it in the terms that we use in this show, every episode, what are your top three expert action steps? You're saying get skin in the game. You can do it right away in five minutes, right? And make sure that, You've got yourself enough knowledge to be able to make some good decisions. And honestly, investing in crypto right now doesn't require you to have a ton of specialized information and knowledge. You can go buy Bitcoin, you can buy Ethereum, you can buy Solana right now and put a bunch of money in there and you can just hodl it, hold on, and hold on for dear life, as they say. But it's not going to be holding on for dear life because I think putting money in in those particular assets, if you leave it there, if you put money in there today, if you put a thousand dollars each in Ethereum, Solana, Polkadot, and Bitcoin, say you put in four grand, let's say if 5,000, just to round it off in, in Luna. So you put a thousand dollars in each of those and you go, you know what? I'm not touching that money. I'm not going in and out of those, those investments. I'm gonna leave them alone. And you and I come and talk five years from today, Here's my bet on where Bitcoin will be. I think Bitcoin at that point will be worth, that $1,000 investment will be worth probably about $12,000. I think the Solana investment will probably be worth $30,000. I think the Ethereum investment will probably be worth sixteen dollars or $17,000. Polkadot will probably be worth $35,000. And Terra will probably be worth $50,000. So that $5,000 that you put in, be worth somewhere around $150,000 just in a five-year period. And that's, that's, as you said, not even being super aggressive and seeking out some of the newer opportunities and projects. That's just looking at the runners with momentum, as you put it.
0: No, 100%. And if we want to talk action steps, another, I think another big one is just look up hyperinflation and... Look up any of the times it's happened in the past 100 years. You know, we talk about Weimar, Germany. We talk about Zimbabwe. We talk about Venezuela. Talk about Lebanon, the country my dad's from. Yeah. They're not quite experiencing hyperinflation right now, but inflation's over, I think it's over 100%. It's crazy. Just look, look, look up these things and understand that this can happen. And it's happening on a much smaller scale in the United States right now. But, you know, they came out and said, oh, inflation's 8.5% in March, which is the really? highest rate in 40 years. Yeah. Ask anyone on the street, how much do you think inflation is? I'll tell you what, they'll say a lot more than 8.5%. The stuff yeah. that people are buying every day, gas and groceries, more like 15,
1: 20%. Yeah.
0: So your money's worth 20% less at the end of this year. And it was at the start. Yeah. Think about it that way. If you've got kids, literally show this to them. Give them $10 and say, at the end of the year, I'm going to take two away. And they're like, why are you taking two away? Like, well, actually, technically, you've only got $8 now. Inflation's taken off the rest, mate. Sorry about that.
1: Yeah, No. So, skin in the game. Um, invest in uh, the runners with momentum, and look at inflation. Okay, that's good. So, brother, let's come back in uh, for another one of these and look at altcoins. I, I'd really like to get deeper into the altcoin oh. conversation next time. I think that'll be fun. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation, just as I did last time. And I'm going to say this to my listener: listener, Ali Al Gore is the real deal. You want to go to his website, freemanpublications.com. You want to buy all his books. He's got a couple of courses over there. And um, I, I'm talking to him. I am going to see if I can uh, twist his arm a little bit, see if we can maybe do something together course-wise as well. I think that'd be kind of fun because his thought leadership in this arena is really, really great. And uh, uh, I happen to have a bit of the gift of the gab of promotion. So I'll, I, I think we could make a, an interesting interesting team here, but make sure that you take advantage of what he has to offer. Buy all his books, take his courses, tell your friends about them because this is real. This is happening now. And if you don't take action on it, you will be left behind. And 10 years from now, you want to say, I'm glad I did. You don't want to say, I wish I did. Love it. All right. So, and that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. Find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Ali Al Gore. Go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or check us out wherever you happen to listen to this podcast, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible. Until next time, goodbye.